Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now from Mass Live, it is Brian Robb. B Rob, what's going on, man? How's the break going for you? It's good. It was uh, it was a lot busier than expected when Jason Tatum's putting up you know record breaking performances. And uh, <laughs> but I don't. I, do you have to put an asterisk next to that MVP based on how that game went? I don't know, but it's still you know we'll take it. All right, so maybe I'm going to sound corny for doing this. And B Rob, I want to get some grades like pre All Star break for some of these guys, but I actually do believe that this is like important for Tatum, right? Not just like, all right, 55 points in an all-star game. It's a glorified exhibition, but he releases his signature shoes this week as well. And then he has the all-star game MVP at a couple of guys out. But now it feels like, like he was the alpha on the court the other day. Like, right. He was the best player in the all-star game, no matter what you want to say about it. And now it feels like he has like entered that territory of elite superstar where last year he's first team all NBA. He goes to the NBA Finals this year again. He's going to finish in the top five in terms of the MVP voting like he is officially one of the guys in the league now. And I do feel like that all star break in the festivities there, it sort of symbolized everything or the point that he's gotten to in his career. Yeah, it, the stars certainly aligned in that front. It's a great point in terms of like the, the shoe coming out for him. Like what, what better way to promote your shoe than like putting up a historic performance in the all star game and. I don't know if you, you give the assist to Joe Mazzulla on that as a coach, you know, playing him more than anyone else, um, <laughs> which is uh, funny given how this year has gone. But it is. It's like the the full like trajectory here for Tatum. It's like he is right there in the MVP race. And I don't think I think he has some work to do in these final 23 games here. But Brian, to your point, like it's a situation where it's right there for the taking. If the Celtics kind of run away with the top record in the NBA, we now know Giannis is hurt. I think that the risk situation he's dealing with is probably going to affect him a bit, at least for the next few weeks here, if not longer. And then you have, you know, you have, you have Embiid, you have Jokic, you have guys like that to worry about, but certainly on that weekend, 
um, he stood out among the pack from that group. And that, you know, bodes well for both, you know, him and probably for a confidence standpoint going into the home stretch here. Yeah. And I also think it tells you something that Giannis's first pick was Tatum, right? Like, of sure. course, he went second in the draft. Giannis knows what that guy did last year, 46 points in Milwaukee. So I thought that meant something as well. Yeah. And it's a great point on Missoula. Like, I'm surprised Tatum didn't play 48 <laughs> minutes, considering the way some of these games have <laughs> gone this season in terms of the minutes total. But so, hey, before we get into some of these grades, I, I, the buyout market, right? So I thought Danny Green would have been like a perfect fit with for this team. And we'll see what he is post-injury because he barely played in Memphis. But just, you know, a veteran guy, 3 and D type guy. Terrence Ross, I wasn't as high on, but okay, that's a guy that can come off the bench and score. I don't want Will Barton at all. I mean, this guy, if you look at his two-point percentage, second to last in the NBA. Like, I want no Oof. part of Will Barton. Yeah, I mean, he's had a he's had a bad season. But my whole take on it last week is I feel like, especially with Danny Green in particular, I feel like the Celtics being so deep now is actually hurting them in the buyout market because like Cleveland can say, hey, we actually need wings like Danny Green is going to play for Cleveland with the Celtics. I just feel like they don't have as much playing time to offer as like Phoenix, for example, say the Celtics really wanted Terrence Ross. Well, Phoenix is like, all right, we're going to be a contender, too. And we just gutted our depth. We don't have Cam Johnson. We don't have Mikhail Bridges. So I actually feel like that is actually hurting the seas a little bit. Yeah, there's no question about it when if Danny Green and all these guys ultimately, you know, unless they want a ring first and foremost, they're they're playing for their next contract and they want to go to places where they'll actually have a chance to play. And so if you you know, we put true serum in Danny Green, my guess is that like he went to Cleveland in large part because he'll actually probably play regular minutes there. And there was no guarantee of that in Boston. I'm with you. I would have loved to see him as a deaf piece in Boston just to. Um, you know, he obviously has won a championship. He's won a couple of championships and has would be able to give Jalen and Jason maybe some rest in the regular season more so than we've seen these first 60 games or so. But yeah, with what's left out there, like I was kind of I would be intrigued of Ross since he's a guy that I always felt it killed the Celtics for whatever reason, whether he was in Toronto or Orlando in regular games. But based on what's left out there now, I, I'm with you. I mean, Will Barton, that's not a guy you're certainly going to be playing in the rotation regularly, um, even in the regular season, I think. And so, yeah, if he wants to come and be an you know emergency depth and be come along for the ride for the, the postseason, great. But it's hard to see him doing that given his age and what he's looking for in his career. And right now, there's what, what else is out there? It's a bunch of bigs and, and point guards, and the Celtics really yeah. don't need either of those right now. Yeah, and I, I really did like the pickup of Muscala. Like we've already seen him; he's shooting the crap out of the ball. Like all the numbers are good with him on the court, like in OKC, which doesn't make any sense because he's been playing there for like four years and they have not been good. So I like that ad. Just give you some depth from a big man perspective. And like, hey, I mean, give Al some more games off down the stretch of the season. Get Mascala out there. Although, how crazy is it that he played like over 40 minutes? He hadn't played like over <laughs> over 30 minutes in like three years. That was insane against uh, Milwaukee. I, I was in there, like I was at Milwaukee for that game and we were just, you know, just talking on, amongst the reporters were just like, okay, like you could see the beginning of the fourth quarter, like his legs are gone. And then after that, he had to play another overtime on top of that. So it's, that just makes it even more impressive that what the Celtics did in that game to, because they were playing a guy. I mean, he didn't even just play his career. eye; he crushed it by like 10 minutes in that game. And yeah. that's, I guess, you know, Joe Mazzullo wanted to figure out what he had. Um, but no, it's, it's, there's no question now where you can rest Al, you can rest Rob more comfortably now in these games going forward. And you you have that stretch element where I don't think Muscala is going to be playing every game in the playoffs. But if you really want to stretch things out and have, um, you know, five legit shooters and guy, a guy in Muscala who's he's not afraid to get him upright. Like if you look at like 
His I know. per 36, I think he's up to like 11 threes per 36 minutes right now. <laughs> so that is, I look forward to seeing what that is in another 20 games. He's bombing. I did love like, Back to the point about like the so many minutes he played, like that corner one he took the other day where he, you could just tell he had no legs left. <laughs> Comple- <laughs> completely airball. It was hilarious. So I did my grades last week on Missoula, Tatum, and Jalen. So I gave Tatum an A. Obviously, there's no, I mean, you could easily give him an A+. plus. I mean, the, the guy's season has basically been perfect to this point. Missoula, I gave him a B just because of the timeout usage. Like I hate, I don't know, maybe the Bucks game. I was thinking too much about that Bucks game where he needed a timeout at the end there. It didn't make sense to me. And then some of the minute thing that we were alluding to, I gave Jalen a B plus. Like I wanted to go A, but like I couldn't ignore some of the outlying numbers, right? Where it's like the on off, it's all down with Jalen on the court or off the court compared to on the assists go way down per 100 possessions when like way less assists when Jalen's on the court than off the court. But his shot making has just been like, I, I wanted to give him an A. It's just I couldn't ignore those numbers. I mean, the guy's basically one of the best pull-up shooters in the game right now from two-point territory. The mid-range is there. So I wish I could have given him an A. I just couldn't because of some of the other numbers. Although I feel like in the postseason, it's going to be more important for Jalen to hit those shots. Yeah, there's no question about that. And that's I think that's what kind of makes Jalen probably a little maybe undervalued around the league um, is that his postseason numbers his throughout his career have pretty much been odd on par with what he does in the regular season, if not sometimes a little bit better. And that's just so rare because you, you see so many guys that put up great numbers in the regular season. And then you look at their playoff stats and they, they fall off a cliff, whether it's like someone like a Lou Williams or, you know, the, the Jamal Croppers yeah. of the world, but Jalen, you know, that, that, that's a sign of a, a true star. If you can kind of maintain where you're at and you've been able to do that for, you know, as you're, you know, approaching the prime of your career, but I'm a few, I would, I would max out at a, a B plus for Jalen. I think B's, Totally fair in, in standpoint of that. The uh, yeah, like his two point shooting has been amazing, but he's shooting 33%, um, you know, from three, which is, is I understand you're taking a lot of them, but that's still, you know, uh, his lowest number. It's lowest number of his career, to be honest. And I'm just looking at his career stats now. And then defensively, I think he's had some rough moments there. And the, the, the assist to turnover stuff, that's always been kind of the weak spot in his career. And there's, there's some room for growth there as we go forward. But um, all things considered, I think it's still you for him to still get that and still be averaging 26 points a game that the Celtics will take it. Yeah, I always feel like Jalen is much better on ball than off ball. Like, I feel like he yeah. just falls asleep with the stuff. Off, and he's not very good getting around screens either. But and that is a great point about the postseason numbers are basically the same. You think even like I like Harden. I mean, how bad has Harden sure. been? in some of these postseason series. So it is impressive that he can do that. I do think that is part of, he's an incredible shot maker. We saw it last year. All right, so let's get to a couple of other grades. So Derek White, I mean, this is kind of getting stupid, B-Rob. He's sixth and (laughs) plus minus, right? And he's behind Tatum and four nuggets. So basically three guys that play with Jokic and then Derek White and Jason Tatum. He plays every game and those 11 games without Smart, over 20 a game, shot 49% from the floor, 43.6% from threes. On the season, he's been really good. He had that one downstretch shooting threes, but on the season, shooting a career high from deep, 38.5%. Floater range now, he's 46.9%, so he can get to that little teardrop if he can't get all the way to the rim. We know about the shot blocking, second among guards, right? 54 behind Shea, and then the on-off numbers with him and Tatum, they're basically outscoring teams with those two guys in the court by 11 points per 100 possessions. And the big thing to me is, he's shooting with more confidence. We saw in the playoffs last year, and maybe this will happen again, but right now, he's still confident shooting the three. And at times, it's just like, 
against Miami. He had that great game six where I thought he was going to win the series for them. And then he'll have games where he won't shoot three. So I guess I do have a question when it comes to the postseason. But it feels like, and you would know better than me, B-Rob, he's put a ton of work into his threes because he knows he's going to get those shots. So I have to give him an A. Like for what we expected from Derek White, I think that he's exceeded my expectations. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's he's far and away the um the run not the surprise there, but for him to be doing this, like I think probably the, the biggest, the most important role piece on this roster right now because the three point shooting last season we saw it in you know you referenced a, play, a couple of those playoff games. Imadoka, he would not be shy about pulling him early in those games when he when White was hesitating to put shots up when you could see it was in a fuck and that killed them in the NBA finals to be honest. Like that when that went away you know, in games three through six, essentially, that was uh, pretty much the the bench offense kind of disappeared. And so now this year, the the three-point shooting is not only better, but he's taking more threes. He's taking 4.7 per game, which is more than he took last year with the Celtics. And I think it all comes down to just comfort level here is that he's been here for a full season now. He had a full training camp, you know, getting thrown in the middle of a, a postseason run or, you know, 20 games before postseason run last year for a team that was truly just finding itself at that point. Um, this is a whole different animal now. And he's, he knows it. He knows Missoula now. I think Missoula has been really good in terms of giving him, you know, a little bit more rope in some of these games where he struggled a little bit. And so my question now going forward with him is like, it's going to be like, Missoula is going to have some really tough decisions to make in crunch time in these games, right? Like you have him smart Brogdon, who I'm sure we'll get to, who's been playing, who's obviously your, your best weapon offensively there. And Two of those guys, Max, are going to have to play. Maybe even one of those guys for some matchup. So it's going to be, uh, that's probably the biggest thing to figure out here in the next, you know, 20 plus games. Yeah. And with White, I feel like he is the perfect guy to play with stars, right? Because he yeah. makes quick decisions, right? He doesn't hold on to the ball. He's not going to dribble the air out of the ball like we saw with Schroeder last year. He's like the perfect fit. And I would argue that he's had a better defensive season than Marcus Smart. And maybe it's just partly partially because teams attack him more. And he just like, I don't know why teams continue to think he's like the weak link and they go after him. It's like this guy is a re- like he's probably going to make an all defensive team right now. Like he should. Yeah. You, you have to think he'd be on one of those two teams. All right. So speaking of those guards, let's get to smart. So came back for the game against Detroit. He had like a vintage smart game, six steals. He's ripping guys left and right. He had the six assists. And for me, it's more about the offense this year with smart, right? Like with him on the floor, the assists per 100 are at 28.2, which would rank third in the NBA without him. 24.9, 14th. He's also averaging a career high in assists, 7.1 up from 5.9. And that's at basically the same minute total. It's not like he's playing more minutes than he did last year. The assist percentage way up. He's in the 85th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler, so he's been really good with that. He's been willing to screen, too, which I feel like the Tatum-Marcus Smart thing has been so successful for these guys over the past two years. Um, The only thing I would dock him for is, defensively at the beginning of the season, I didn't think he was great, and I was actually worried about that, okay, did he lose something athletically, but he picked it up after that. And the other question is just, like, the durability. He's played in 42 of the 59 games. Obviously, that was a pretty significant ankle sprain, but I always worry about smart that something's going to come up, that he's always going to be playing through an injury. But all in all, I'd give him basically a B plus. I, I would have given him an A minus, you know, the three point shooting. I still think he takes too many of those. But at the same time, I'm like, I know when the game's on the line, if it's a big game, he's going to hit one of those. Like we see that all the time. He hits big shots. I'd give him a B plus. Yeah, I'd, I'd go B there for him. I think he had a really, really rough start to the season um, yeah. in those first probably like 10 games there. But the to this point where it was like historically bad numbers shooting for him. 
And he's pulled out of that to the point he's at 33%. And just to top off in terms of what he's been doing beyond the kind of the assist ties that you've referenced already, his shots to me is something I always keep an eye on, his attempts per game, because I feel like that is when the Celtics are at their best when he's taking, you know, he's still getting his shots in, but he's not, you know, searching them out. He's not trying to, you know, steal a couple quick per game. And he's he's taking as few shots since 2019. And that's, I think, a sign of him being able to wow. accept his role here in the sense that like, okay, we have more firepower this year. I don't need to chase bad threes. And that the fact he's able to, his usage is down, his assists are up. Like you said, the pick and roll stuff has been tremendous pretty much since November there. And the defense, defense hasn't been as good as last year, but it's still, you know, what you need, you know, still top five guard in the NBA prior period. So you put all that together, there's still room for him to get better from a shooting standpoint. The turnover is still a little bit too high from like 18%. Turnover rate is still, um, that's kind of flirting with his, um, one of the highest of his career. So you need to bring that down a little bit, but the fact that the assists are so far up there makes you, uh, makes me forgive it a little bit. Yeah. And I feel like one underrated thing about smart is the hit ahead passes. Like he's probably the best guy on the team at those hit ahead passes. And especially when it's Tatum and Jalen running in transition, it's like, all right, you're in trouble if he can make those type of passes. All right. So let's get to Brogdon, who of course was the big pickup in the off season. They need, we saw in the Warriors series, they needed another bucket getter. He's now in the 87th percentile as an isolation score, 1.16 points per possession. He's been outstanding. They desperately needed that. Brogdon's been there for that. Leads the NBA in terms of qualifiers in three-point percentage, which is 45.5%. Now, it's 4.4 attempts per game, so it's not like he's taken eight, but still, it's not two. He's taken four right. and a half attempts per game. It's still a decent amount, especially considering the minutes he plays. And you look at the catch and shoot threes, 45.1%. But the thing that surprised me coming into the season, he was not a great pull-up shooter. And I'm guessing part of that was just because, you know, he's getting the other team's best defensive player. And that's why the ISO numbers are up too. So he's 44 of 95 on pull-up threes, which is 46.3%, which is outstanding. The other thing about him is the drives, right? He's at 11.1 drives per game, second on the team. If he did that over 36 minutes, it'd be at almost 16, 15.8. And he would actually lead the team if that was the case. So He's been efficient. He hasn't been as efficient with his drives as he was last year, but still averaging the most assists on this team with drives and six five two thirty frame. I feel like he. It's almost like I've used this comparison. It's like a running back in the NFL. Like you don't want to deal with this guy during the regular season because it's it's like a pounding when he goes to the rim. Like you you got to take on the the beating. Now the minutes I feel like they're at twenty five point three down from thirty three point five. Okay. So I give Missoula a lot of credit for this because I feel like, all right, this guy has had so many injuries throughout his career and playing him less minutes with the style that he plays at, it feels like you have to play him in that 25 minute range to make sure that you get him to the finish line healthy this season. The one critique I would have with him, it's like similar to Jalen, the on off numbers, but I do feel like he plays more without one of the stars than anybody else on the team, right? Like when Tatum's out of the game, it's going to be Brogdon and Jalen. He's going to be out there at times without both those guys. So that's probably part of that. The only other thing that kind of concerns me. It's been better lately. His numbers at the rim are god awful. He's shooting like 55% in the restricted area. And you look at like, like, which is like shocking. Like it's, I know he's a guard, but like white's at 60%, which isn't good. And smarts at 55%. Like this, uh, or smart is over 60%. I should say, uh, smarts at 65 whites at 60. He's at 55.2, which I, I don't really understand it. Like I don't watch the games and see him like bundle a bunch of these, but obviously the numbers don't lie. So And the other part of him is he's accepted being 
the fifth or the sixth or the seventh guy on the team. I know he said it a lot before the season, but I'm like, I mean, this has been an all-star, a guy that's close to all-star level at times, but he's accepted that role. I'll give him an A- minus because I feel like he's fit in perfectly with what they need. And I I wondered about like him defensively. He's actually defended up a lot. Like we saw him actually covering Anthony Davis during that Lakers game. Yeah, that's that's certainly like you're going to see him guarding up more than guarding down in his career right now, just based on his age and his quickness isn't what it used to be. So that like he has the, the size and at least the frame to be able to hold his own in those spots. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you on the A minus the uh, it's when he has it going, which we saw pretty much throughout the first half of the season. I mean, not through the first two months of the season, I should say. And then he had that low and then has kind of come back lately. Like the Celtics are the, the, the offense is ridiculous because for to have a guy like this be your pretty much your fourth option and to put a lot of shooting around him as this. So it's like, not only is he seeing teams, you know, third, fourth best defender. Now it's like he has more shooting around him than he's had probably any time in his career at that point. And that just has made him lethally efficient from both three point range when teams try to go under that screen or just getting into the paint because everyone's afraid to help Bob shooter. So my one concern of him, and I don't know, like this is, I don't know if I'm nitpicking here, his play the in crunch time has been rough at points, especially defensively. Like he's had some rough missed box outs, like some key, you know, possessions where he just hasn't come up with the ball. I know he got away with, you know, a few fouls um, on that last two minute. Before. I think maybe the Lakers game, maybe he got away with like one or two things there where he got a block, but that's actually a foul. So I wonder there whether that's, you know, how much this team is going to be able to trust him in those big spots in the postseason if he's in that closing five. But beyond that, I mean, this is, he should run away with six man of the year. And um, this is a, you know, a home run deal that Brad Stevens made this summer to kind of get a guy like this in the door for a full season. Can you believe that Russell Westbrook was like the odds on favorite for like the majority of the season? What are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) His own team doesn't like him and they had him him as the odds on favorite. So actually now, like it's not as good value at FanDuel to get Malcolm Brogdon because it's in all likelihood going to win it. Like if you took him at the beginning of the season, much better odds to go after him. All right. So then Al Horford, 42.2% on threes and he's taken 4.8 a game, second best of his career. Among centers who have taken at least 40, he's the best. And he's taken 218 threes. So he's been phenomenal. Numbers not as good defensively, but he still covered the second most isolation possessions in the league. And he's holding guys to 39%, which is not as good as last year, but it's still pretty good. Offensively, they have a 120 rating with Al on the court, which of course would be the best in the NBA. And I look at him, I mean, this guy is 36 years old and you can't underrate what he did to begin the season, right? Where... Robert Williams was in a situation where he wasn't playing like Al had to. And we didn't know what we were going to see from Cornette right now. Cornette has been a bit of a surprise, although that tells you what they think of him, that they went out and got Mike Muscala to add to the big man depth. But I got to give Al an A. Like, I like the fact that he's not playing back to backs, but I really can't be too critical of a guy at 36 doing what Al Horford does for you on a nightly basis. Like, I never watch a game and feel like Al's a problem or Al's doing anything to hurt the team. He just sort of plays his role and he. Plays it, I think, as well as you could ask him to do. Yeah, and to that point, is like his usage is at a career low, um, his turnovers rate is at a career low. He's really just, and he knows because he's he's thirty six years old, and he's honestly he's being played too much. If we're being frank here, like the yeah, he's 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 it's his most minutes since twenty eighteen. So I think if anything else, like he should get multiple vacations during you know when we come back from the All Star break here, make sure this knee situation that he's been dealing with is good to go for the 
for the postseason. But to your point, he's he's stepped up in a huge way in the first two months before Rob came back, you know, kind of holding down the fort as they they played small ball. And for his three-point shooting to come around this far and become, you know, with with him taking nearly five per game, that's just a huge dimension now where no team can think about just leaving him alone out there. And that just maximizes the spacing for Tatum and Brown and Brogdon um, anytime they're on the floor of him. So you you have to watch out for him a little bit defensively. Yeah, I think having him as the lone center now on the floor is a bit of a concern defensively. They looked a little bit vulnerable there at times before they went back to the double big starting five. And so, but if you can rest up, keep him out there as a power four more than the center, I think that's going to go a long way. So I, I go B plus with him, but that's honestly just probably because he was playing a little bit too much. B-Rob, have you noticed, like, is he doing the fake, like when the free throw misses, like fake and like he gets hit? Like, I haven't seen him doing that as much. This Not year. enough. I feel like yeah. maybe once he did it. Yeah, he's uh, we'll have to, I'll have to move some crap for that. We need to loosen things up here. Wait till they play Ben Simmons again. Although Ben Simmons probably won't be on the court the way that thing's going. The guy's like, he's like the ninth man in the rotation now. I mean, what a mess that situation is. All right, so then I wanted to get to Rob. So Rob's been so good since he's come back. Second chance points with Rob on 17.0, which would be second off 11.1, which would be 28th. They basically have been playing at an elite level offense, like best offense in the NBA, best defense in the NBA when he's on the court. The blocks are way up when he's on the court. I just, I have to give him an incomplete. Like I can't even give him a letter grade because the guy hasn't played nearly enough. And it's just like, every time I watch Rob fall, I get worried. And I can't remember like a Celtic, maybe you can be Rob. I cannot remember a Celtic where that was always the case where I felt like every time this guy falls, like, oh man, well, there goes the season. And the biggest thing is like, Basically, he wasn't available for the Nets series. He played two games. He had to sit out games against Milwaukee. And then when he finally looks like himself against the Golden State Warriors, it was too late. I mean, they lost that series. He was a plus 30, which is like incredible to think about that. And I just I just like am hoping because I think I've compared him to Gronk before. Where I feel like, OK, if the Patriots had Gronk, they were basically unbeatable. And with Robert Williams, I feel like if they have a healthy Rob with this quarter in the postseason, I believe they're going to win the finals. I still think they can do it if they don't have the guy that they had for the majority of last year. They went to the finals basically without Rob last year. Like he did not have a big impact during the postseason. I'm just I'm just worried about him, man, like because it's always something. I mean, he recently had an ankle thing, so I just don't know. Like I want to like I want to enjoy watching Rob play. But in the back of my head, every time I watch him play, I'm worried. Yeah, I really like that ground comparison because that is it's like. It, it a lot of times the past season did come down to that, you know, back in the in their heyday there, you know, in the last decade. And with Rob, he was not like you said, he was ever since that Buck series, he was not himself. And he had you know, he had a couple nice, you know, gutted out performances on the way there, but he certainly wasn't moving well to the point where you know you'd see him after six minutes, you're like, ooh, should he be out on the floor right now, period, right now? And so the good news is for him, he hasn't looked like that at all this year. So that's a situation where you feel good about how they're managing his minutes. He's averaging, you know, I think 25 per game at this point, which is, I think, a, where he should be at, you know, much more, or even 23. So that's much better than the 29 he was at last year because Emi Adoka would really, like, you know, try to, fig, you know, run him because they were playing so well, and but also figure out, okay, how long can, you know, he give this to us? How much, you know, let's get his endurance up for the playoffs. And then that clearly backfired there. So now I think they're going about it smarter, no back-to-backs, you know, even even when he plays 30 minutes, one game, give him the next game off. And to your point, I think it's it all comes down to can we keep him out there and healthy 
for when it matters most because the odds of that happening over a 20 game playoff run here is what like 30 percent 40 percent at best i can't think of any i got to your question like i can't think of anyone who's just this not even fragile but just like who's had this many durability concerns every time he, he goes for a block but i feel like do you feel like he is getting better at all in terms of not i feel like he's not going for the crazy block as much or just like the dangerous fall as much a lot of it's more fluky now as opposed yeah. to him just being out of control yeah no that's fair i do feel like that way and the thing I do love about him is when he's on the court, like you can tell that he's gassed when he comes out. Like yeah. he just goes <laughs> like balls to the wall. It's like sometimes you see him out there and it's like a seven minute street. You're like, OK, you like, come on, like you're getting diminishing returns. Like you got to get him off the floor. So I do. I do like the fact about how hard he plays. Um, oh, so Hauser. So the interesting thing about him, October through November, 47.9 percent from deep December and January, 26 of 88, 29.5 percent. And he was basically taken out of the rotation at times for Peyton Pritchard because he couldn't shoot. And with and when he's not shooting, I mean, it's tough to justify having him out there. February, 25 of 50. Like, he's been red hot this month, and he started, which is huge to get this guy back shooting threes, especially with some of the injuries they've had. Now, we've seen teams do go at him isolation-wise. 25 of 47 as an ISO defender, 53.2%. So teams will target him a little bit. That would be more of an issue in the postseason. But Based on what we've seen from him so far this year, like he's exceeded my expectations. It basically, he had two bad months. He's had three really good months, pretty much from a shooting perspective. I can't ignore like that stretch where he was basically unplayable for like a significant amount of time. So I would basically give him a B based on my expectations. Like I and maybe you had a better idea, B Rob. I did not think they were going to get this level of player from Sam Hauser, where he's legitimately playing big minutes lately with the injuries. Yeah, I have to go name my for him because from like if you said before the season you're gonna get 41 percent shooting from this guy, um, who barely saw the floor at all last year, and he's gonna be doing it on you know nine three point attempts per 36 minutes. That's an amazing <laughs> get. That's just something that it's hard to find in the NBA and for uh, you know pretty much minimum salary. And so he is he has we saw the slump, but he was kind of due for that obviously given how hot he started to the year and the fact that he it would have been a bigger issue if he didn't come back here in the last couple of weeks but now we see like okay he's able to get out of it he got more reps he got a chance to start and then really ran up that opportunity and that really it seemed to you know break things open for him in the next week or two heading into the all-star break there but the fact that he's been able to shoot at this rate and then when he's out there he's not helping a ton when he's obviously not hitting shots but he's not hurting you a ton either like he's not his turnover rate is very small. He's not trying to do things he shouldn't be doing offensively. And defensively, he's going to have a target on his back, but he's still like, you compared him to someone like Duncan Robinson back a couple years ago, he's, like, he's oh, a far God. better defender than that. So like, at this point, it's he's maybe playing himself into the rotation in the playoffs. We'll see. Like, we'll, we'll see how things play out in the next 20 games. But based on how things have gone so far, I got to go. I got to go A minus because he's just been that far above what, you know, I would expect out of him. Yeah, maybe I'm just being a hard grader on him with the B. But I also say, like, if you get into a postseason series like last year we saw where it went dry, like the Celtics couldn't hit shots, they needed floor spacing, like, here you go. Get out there and hit some shots. Like, Hauser definitely, with all the experience he's getting this year, there should be no reason that they don't believe him when he gets to the postseason. All right, last one is Grant. So on the season, 41.4% from threes, still outstanding from corner threes, just below 48%. He's actually added, like, driving closeouts a little bit. Now, his numbers aren't great at the rim, but he ha does have a nice little floater game there, 32 of 65 from that area. He's been a little bit inconsistent for me. 
Like, he'll go from the Toronto game where he has 25, and I'm not expecting Grant to average 25 a game. Like, don't get me wrong. But then out of his next nine games, just two and double figures. I almost feel like I made this point last week after the Milwaukee game. Like, he almost, like, needs to be challenged, right? Like, a specific challenge where, okay, you're guarding Giannis. He's going to play well in that game when he's guarding Giannis. In the Toronto game, they had injuries in that game, right? Where Marcus Smart went down and Tatum wasn't playing. Like, Tatum didn't play that game because he was given the night off, essentially. So I feel like he almost needs to get challenged. The one big thing about him is if you go back to the playoffs last year and you take those nine games against the Bucks and Giannis and well, the seven games last year and the two games this year. And I know like the tracking data isn't perfect, obviously, but Giannis is 30 of 67 against him as their primary defender, which is 44.8%. So, you know, this guy is going to be incredibly important to you down the stretch. I give him in the playoffs. I give him a ton of credit for this. He's a guy that's coming up for a contract. We saw the reporting lately in terms of what he wants, like in the $20 million range. So he's playing for a contract, but he hasn't tried to do too much. Like he still understands his role in the team. Obviously, the players love having him around, which I do think that's an important thing to have this type of player in the locker room where everybody teases him. Everybody jokes around with Grant Williams. Like I do feel like that's important. So I would give him a solid B plus. I feel like he's been what you expected this season. At times I've been like, Oh, I don't know if the defense has been where it was last year, but then I see like the flashes in the game against Milwaukee where I'm like, okay, this looks like Grant again. Yeah, you know it in terms of him just being in his role. Like he's he's taking the same amount of shots pretty much as last year. And he's not trying to and that's a cru- crucial thing. And the and the other thing with him too is the fouling really went down last year, and that's kind of stayed too. He's only fouling like three times per 36 minutes. That was up at five a couple years ago. So for him to be able to, he's able to stay on the floor. He's not taking himself out of games. He'll have, he'll have lapses. And that's like defensively where you see, and that he can get himself into trouble there, committing dumb fouls, you know, complaining to the refs too much, whatever you want to, you know, call him out for that. But the threes are better than ever. The, the drive is, you know, off the, the closeouts have gotten better. He's shown a little bit more there than I would have expected at this point. And he knows, he knows how he's going to get paid. And to be honest, he's not going anywhere. Like the Celtics are going to pay him. Like it's it's a matter of can he push up his market enough to where they have to pay a little bit more than they want to. But like you pointed out, those Giannis defensive numbers, like you can't lose Grant for that reason. Like Al Horford's going to be thirty seven next year. Like you're not yeah. going to give away your second best Giannis defender um, when you're trying to contend. So he's playing for hoping that someone else will push up the price. The Celtics are going to have to pay one way or another, but. Um, yeah, for all things there, B plus for him. It's he's he's certainly helping his cause um, more than hurting it with in a contract year here. Yeah, I can see one of these other contenders, B Rob, like after the season in the East, like giving him an offer sheet, knowing the Celtics are going to have to match it, sure. right? Like trying to drive that price up on the Celtics to pay for Grant. But it's a great point. Like I didn't even think about it too from the Al Horford perspective. Like he's going to be thirty seven. Like you need Grant. Like you, <laughs> you don't need a lot. You don't need you like especially like Giannis isn't going anywhere. He's going to nope. be in the Eastern Conference. You're going to need a guy like that. Hey, before I let you go, B Rob. So Brad Stevens, like obviously, I I'd give him an A in terms of if I was grading him, but when he got this job, did you have like any idea that he was going to be like, I, I felt like, well, the search was even like kind of weird, right? Like they didn't, they didn't really have a search. It's like, okay, no. Brad, Brad Stevens is the guy. He's trading for Derek White. He's trading for Al Horford. He's trading for Malcolm Brogdon. He just picked up at the deadline, like a guy that's a dead eye shooter. And even like the Missoula thing where it's like, okay, this guy was behind the bench last year. And now he promoted him to head coach when there was obviously other candidates like Damon Stoudemire was there. He, he was 
one of the like I, I guess technically Will Hardy was the lead assistant, but he was at least sitting on the like you know the first yeah, level. Yeah, he's taking so, the command. Yeah, all these things that he's done. I mean, it's been like Brad like really hasn't missed. Like has he missed? Like I guess Schroeder, but he fixed that mistake by trading him. Like I I really don't think he's missed on much. I guess people still complain about Bull Bull. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, come on, yeah, like, Bull like that's a. <laughs> Anyone complains about Bobo, I'll be like, look at the Celtics rotation right now. Like, Bobo wouldn't play, you know, more than <laughs> yeah. like 10 games right now for this team this season. But yeah, it's, yeah, when you list it out like that, it is kind of nuts just how much he's been able to, um, you know, find the right deals at the right times at this point and get away from the mistakes. Like, he hasn't been perfect, but like, bring like, and whether it's Ennis Freedom or Schroeder last year, um, that was, both of those were mistakes, but you, you, you get out of it. And, the fact that you're you're doing stuff that Danny Ainge hesitated to do for a bunch of years, which is, you know, give up on your young guys a little too early as opposed to too late. And whether with, you know, Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith, that was a situation where it was like, they might be something like super useful for us a couple of years, but guess what? Like we want to win now and they're going to, they're expendable pieces. So use that with your draft capital. And now you just have, a great cap sheet for the future going forward or everyone's under control and you're, you don't, there's no reason you're going to lose anyone. Like you're going to be able to pay grant when Jalen's going to get paid eventually. But that, by that point, like Al Horford will probably be on the, you know, towards the end of his career too. And so you've kind of built a, a, a really impressive ecosystem here of where guys are able to fully buy in because they're not thinking about their next contract. They're thinking about, okay, what do we need to do to win? Because we have that long-term security. And so that's, in my mind, on top of the deal, is him being able to kind of maneuver that in these last couple of years here has created, uh, you know, I know, a pretty impressive, you know, long-term future for this team. Yeah. And he's just been such a genius with, like, realizing, hey, picks like 25 to 30 are not going to be valuable to me. Like, right. Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon are going to be better players, not just for this team, but for the future. Like, the odds of finding a guy as good as Derek White or as good as Malcolm Brogdon 25 to 30, it's not happening. So no. I've been incredibly impressed with Brad. And I question it. I'm like, hey, if other people like have, that have experience want to interview, like, Sam Presti, if he really wanted this job, okay, like, give him a chance. But Brad has been incredible. I mean, that's, that was a great decision by Wick and company to promote him to that job. He's been Really good. All right, that is Brian Robb from MassLive.com. B-Rob, thanks so much for the grades, man. I really enjoyed it. And enjoy the second half. Well, I shouldn't even say second half, but the stretch run of the <laughs> yeah. season here. I mean, it's incredible how late this thing is. I guess they do it because of football, right? I mean, you wait until the Super Bowl's over. Pretty much, I think. They want, they want to move that All-Star Weekend away from the Super Bowl. And then, but yeah, now we have what, it's probably like the last 30% of the season right now. But I'll take it. Bring on the playoffs. Let's The, the sooner the better. Yeah, let's go. I'm ready for the playoffs. B-Rob, thanks so much, man. All right, thanks for having me. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from B-Rob. Really enjoyed grading the Celtics at the All-Star break. And now I'm dying for the Celtics to play in a game on Thursday night. Like, man, this All-Star break, I get it. A couple of years ago, they discussed it. The players wanted more time off, so I understand all that. But man, I'm missing the NBA. I can only watch so much college basketball. Just not a very entertaining product. But 
I did want to get to some Red Sox and get to some Bs. So let's start with the Sox. So Alex Cora said on Tuesday that they want to get as many innings as possible out of Tanner Houck, whether that's as a reliever or as a starter. And what he was hinting at that as a reliever, he would be used as a multi-inning guy. Okay. To maximize his usage, so to speak. So this seems like the best plan, especially if Sale, Paxton, Kluber, Bayo, and Whitlock are all ready to go to start the season. Knock on wood. I mean, we've just started spring training here. Knock on wood. All these guys, there's question marks, right? It also makes sense that they would want to stretch Hulk out in case, like we're saying, that one of these guys is injured at any point during the regular season, even if one of these guys isn't ready to go, because that's very possible to begin the season. One of these guys may get injured during spring training because of all the injury history they all have, with the exception of Bayo and I know Whitlock's coming off surgery, but you get my point, right? So you don't really want to push any of these guys. Luckily, nothing happened, as I alluded to with Bayo, and he, he also, though, you got to remember, he's entering his first year as like a full-fledged Major League starter. He came up last year, but this is his full season where you're expecting a lot from the kid, so you don't want to push him too much, right? This is the number one pitching prospect in your organization. Sale and Paxton are both coming back from injury, so you want to be careful with both of those guys. Whitlock, as I alluded to, he had the hip surgery in the offseason, and he's a permanent member of the rotation for the first time. Remember, he was in the rotation at one point last season, but he was in the bullpen to begin the year. So he's not really a permanent member of the rotation at any point during his career yet. And then there's Kluber, who's 36. And I do really feel like Kluber's probably your best bet to make 30 starts, considering he was really healthy last year. But again, he's a question mark at his advanced age. So you need multi-inning guys, right? And I cannot think of a better role for Tanner Houck. He's been nearly unhittable the first time through the order. You look at his numbers, 186 opponents batting average the first time through the order. That jumps to 240 the second time through, 292 the third time through, granted 30 plate appearances, but nonetheless, it goes way up the second time through. Not that that's horrific, but (laughs) you think about it, we're talking about a 54 point jump from the first time through the order to the second time through the order. And I just think his stuff, because it moves so much, it can be difficult to harness at times. And you look at the numbers as a reliever last season with Tanner Houck, 214 opponents batting average, 259 as a starter. So that's a wide gap as well. And the concern you have with Houck in terms of if he was going to be a starter, which I don't believe he's a starter long term. I get the idea, like I said, get him ready to be a starter in case there is an injury and get him ready to go so he can be a multi-inning weapon, so to speak. But you look at his walk rate last year. 8.9%, which was in the 34th percentile in Major League Baseball. So it is difficult at times for him to control his stuff, to have the command, because the slider's a Frisbee, right? For his career, he's at 8.7% in terms of his walk rate. That is just too high for a Major League starter, right? And sometimes we've seen throughout these starts, he just completely loses his command. And I just feel like seeing the slider for the first time in a game, it's incredibly difficult. Last year, opponents hit 152 against Tanner Houck's slider. Two years ago against that Frisbee, they hit 143. And if you look at it, last season, he's at 11.1 inches of horizontal break on a slider to kind of get the metric man hack going here, break this thing down. That's 4.8 inches above average. So that thing is a fucking Frisbee. Two years ago, he's at 13.6. That was 6.4 inches above average in terms of the horizontal break on his slider. So those are incredibly difficult to hit, right? Sometimes we've seen him make guys look stupid. I mean, the one that always comes to mind is Brett Gardner, where his knee just completely buckles. That thing is just incredibly difficult to hit, right? And he can throw more of those when he's coming out of the bullpen, right? There's no setting up guys. You're just going after him. And so 
if you look at the back end, right, you feel pretty good about it entering the season. As crazy as that sounds as a Red Sox fan coming off last season, when you're looking at Schreiber's a setup guy, Martin's a setup guy, those are high leverage setup guys, and then you have Jansen as your closer, so you feel good there. So a couple of games, you need a bridge. Okay, hey, uh, Tanner, can you give us the fifth and the sixth inning? Yes, sure. Okay, then on Thursday, if he does it on Monday, can you give us the sixth and the seventh inning again, right? So it just... It takes innings and mileage off your starters, and it also helps your bullpen as well. And the other games, like you can piece it together, right? Where if Martin's down or if Jansen's down and you say, okay, Tanner, you may have to give us two innings this game. And then you have to sort of put it together with a guy like Rodriguez who has high walk numbers, but we know that the changeup and Cora talked about him a couple of weeks ago when he was on here, the changeup's really devastating for him. So those innings, those middle innings throughout the regular season, are just so important. That's where the Red Sox lost so many games last year where we saw Sawamora come out of the bullpen, right? Guys along those lines. And if you can just have that weapon, it's so important and so imperative to this team's success because it helps everybody in terms of the pitching staff. It helps the starters where you don't have to try to get more out of them than you should be trying to get out of them. And you don't have to overuse your relievers like we saw last year with a guy like Schreiber, who was going on fumes by the end of the season. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if we see Cutter Crawford in that role, who pitched really well for this team last year at times. I mean, he had a really nice run there before he was sort of at one point last year, a tip of his pitches. But that's a guy that could I could see him in a similar role if you have some injuries here in the bullpen. All right. I do want to get to the Bruins because they win again on Monday. That's four in a row. They beat the Senators three to one. You get the goal from DeBrusque, which is really nice on the on the play that where Marshawn sets him up. He wins a puck battle behind the net. Second goal was David Pasternak's first goal of the game. Vintage Pasta, just a nasty wrister on that beautiful fake and feed from McAvoy. I mean, that was a phenomenal play by McAvoy. And then the third goal was Pasternak on the breakaway where it's just absolutely filthy. And he goes five hole back in. I mean, it was just nasty. And now Pasta joins Connor McDavid as the only players this season with 40 goals. And also, when you look at Pasternak, he actually has more even strength goals than Connor McDavid does. McDavid just has a complete runaway in terms of the MVP because his total points. All right. So then I just want to look at that DeBrusque, Bergeron, and Marshawn line. So they're at 3.66 goals expected per 60 minutes. That is 14th out of 88 line combinations, minimum of 150 minutes played together. Okay. So then if you take their expected goals against per 60 minutes, that's at 1.8, which is seventh. So they're seventh in terms of 88 combinations there. So then you look at the expected goal percentage, right? Which just means your expected goals for and your expected goals against. The Bruins are at that line with the Bruins. DeBrus, Bergeron, and Marchand is 67%. That is third out of those 88 line combinations that have played at least 150 minutes together, right? And that's even better than the combination of Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. Now, the expected goals are higher with Pasternak on the ice with those guys, but it's lower in terms of the goals against. And by the way, that line, they had Craig Smith filling out there with Marshawn and Bergeron. It was at just 58% in terms of the expected goal percentage. That's way down from the 67% with Jake DeBrus. So the goals for have been way up with Jake DeBrus with those guys this season. He's been really good for this team. So what DeBrus provides is that guy that brings a huge element to this team, which is speed, right? Most guys that play with Bergeron and Marshawn, the numbers and the outlying numbers are going to be really good because Bergeron's won five Selkies, Marshawn's really good in the defensive end. But DeBrus is the perfect fit with these guys because he's adding offense, right? 
And you don't have to have posture knock up with those guys because DeBrusque is so capable. So you can keep pasta down. You don't have to keep the perfection line together, as we've seen for the majority of the season, because you have that check line with Krejci and Zaka. And that's perfect for Krejci, because how many years did we talk about the fact that he didn't have wings? And now he's got Zaka. And now he's got a guy, of course, in David Pasternak, one of the best players in the entire NHL. So that brings me to the trading deadline. We know the bees were in on Bo Horvat, and we went over this when the Bruins beat the Islanders the other day. Now, the Islanders are in even more trouble, by the way. Matt Barzell now out indefinitely with that lower body injury after that hit he took from Craig Smith the other day. So he's out indefinitely. So their playoff hopes are even worse. I mean, they're clinging to try to get a wild card spot. They're probably not going to get it. But what we've been seeing is teams are loading up, right? The Rangers, who are third in the Metropolitan Division, they're coming off that Eastern Conference Finals appearance last year. One went away from the cup, right? Had a really good series, competitive series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They trade for Vladimir Tarasenko as the Blues are now in sell mode, right? You also had the Leafs who traded for Ryan O'Reilly. Now, O'Reilly, now 31, just 20 points in his 42 games. But we know he plays heavy. We remember what happened in 2019 against the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. Won the consmite that year. He was the first player since Wayne Gretzky to have goals in four consecutive Stanley Cup finals games. Like, he was really good. So he's a cup winner. He's a leader. He'll be rejuvenated now playing for a contender in the Leafs. And by the way, it just reminds me of that 2019 Stanley Cup final when we see Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly moved like guys that had won a Stanley Cup for this team very recently are now off. This team is in sell mode. The Bruins had such a golden opportunity to win that Stanley Cup. But nonetheless, I don't want to digress on the past. So that brings me to the bees, And it feels like they've made up their mind, right? They would have been in or they were, I should say, in on Horvat, but it felt like they thought that the price was too rich in terms of what the Islanders gave up. And I feel like, as I kind of alluded to, they feel good about their top six with what we've seen from DeBrus this season, where he's having a career year, and Zaka's played really good this season as well, and they just signed him long-term. So they feel good about those guys, right? And you always have the option of, hey, Taylor Hall, who's down in the third line right now, who won a Hart Trophy, you could move him up in the postseason if you feel like, hey, we need a jolt for a series or we need a jolt for a game, you could always do that. So it feels like, they're going to do something. And Don Sweeney in that front office, they understand that this may be as great as the season's been. We know they're on the record pace for the points and the wins. This may be their last best chance with this group, right? With Bergeron and with Krejci. We don't know what the future holds for those guys, right? But now you look at basically everywhere they're getting linked to left shot defensemen. And now we're seeing all kinds of reports with Vladislav Gavrikov from the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are, of course, in sell mode. And Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet reported the Bees would have to clear cap space to make that work for Gavrikov, 6'3", 221. And the framework for a deal would be a first and a third for Gavrikov, which seems pretty steep. 27, and he's an unrestricted free agent after the season. But if you think he's a difference maker, obviously you would do a deal like this, right? And if you want to add more size to the blue line, as we alluded to, the six foot three, the 220 pounds, it makes sense. You think of a guy like Grizzlick, Phenomenal on the offensive end, but just 5'10", 176, and he does at times get banged up. So if you wanted to add a little more beef to have an option in the postseason, this is the type of guy that you would target. So he's third in the NHL in penalty kill minutes this season, so he'd certainly help you during the regular season, especially if you want to cut back on some of the PK minutes for some of the guys, the Lindholms of the world, the Forberts of the world, especially Lindholm, because you're really going to need him in the postseason. And he's fifth in shorthanded time on ice per game. Gavrikov, though, just 10 points in his 52 games. So that seems like the one that is really picking up the most steam right now. But I mean, if you're going to spend a first and a third round pick, right? Like that's a heavy 
price to get Gavrikov, who there's no guarantee that he's one of your top four defensemen, right? And if it's me, you may want to go big game hunting, right? Like if you're looking at a bigger piece that you could get in terms of a left shot defenseman, and the Bruins have been linked to this guy a little bit as well, Jacob Chikrin, who is obviously a far superior player, and he's only 24, also has two years left on the contract after this season. 28 points in his 36 games. Again, big frame, 6'2", 220, so still gives you size. And that Coyotes have outscored teams 35-25 to 25 on 5-on-5 five five with Chikrin on the ice. And the Coyotes are not good. And then you look at the rest of their defensemen that have played over 600 minutes, 5-on-5, five five, minus 4, minus 4, minus 16, minus 19, minus 5, minus 6. So that tells you if a guy is a plus 10 with him on the ice, right, when we're talking about Chikrin. So, I mean, if you think about adding a guy that would fit in with the system that we've seen from Jim Montgomery that would give this team a jolt, right? Like really being active in the offensive end from a defenseman perspective, Chikrin fits that mold more than Gavrikov does. And if you look at the power play numbers in terms of defensemen, 2.57 expected goals per 60 minutes on the power play. That would be first in the NHL. 2.31 goals per 60 minutes. That would be first in the NHL on the power play. So this guy would be a major, major add to the Bruins. Now, the question is, what is this type of deal going to cost. But the thing I would come back to is if Gavrikov is going to cost you as much as it's rumored to be, then why wouldn't you go after the bigger fish, right? It just doesn't make sense to me to give all that stuff up for a guy that wouldn't be a top four defenseman for you. And a guy like Chikrin, who you would have for two more seasons, and he's an elite level defenseman. Like if it's me and I'm Don Sweeney, if I'm paying a premium anyway, I'm going after the bigger player, right? But it does feel like there's a lot of smoke here with a left shot defenseman. I just feel like, hey, fuck it. Let's go for it. Let's go after the better player. Let's go after Chikrin. But I would expect before March 3rd, and maybe even in the next 48 hours, the Bruins add a left shot defenseman. All right. I do want to get to our email box coming up next, and that is offthepike at gmail.com. We'll do that next. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Time now to check in on our email. That is offthepike at gmail.com. Of course, you can still leave voicemails as well. We take those, 617-396-7172. But let's get to the offthepike at gmail.com emails. Joining us now, it is Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? I am good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. As I was saying earlier, like I could use a little more NBA games. At least we got a Bruins game on Monday. But man, I mean, kind of boring. Yeah, and you have this all-star break, which, I mean, it was fun watching Tatum and all that get to 55 points. But let's be real, that was not a very entertaining basketball game. So I'm just happy that, like, give me, like, 48 hours and we'll have more games. Like, this is this is tough. Well, I think you just got to rest up, Brian. It's going to be the, the stretch run from now until summertime, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, no doubt, man. All right, so let's get to these emails. Who do we have up first? Um, we got Calvin in Southie. He says, Hey, Brian, love the show and love the new mailbag segment. Let's talk some bees. 
there's obviously been a lot of talk around the bees and how the coaching change has made such a difference. Most people point to the fact that Cassidy lost the locker room and by bringing in Montgomery, there's a new voice that seems to be a breath of fresh air. When Montgomery took over, he prioritized the need for defensemen to start contributing offensively, which they have in games in which at least one defenseman scores. They are 19, one and zero and have outscored opponents by 54 goals. My question for you is, do you think their success this year is more attributed to Montgomery being a new voice and more of a player's coach, or is it his X's and O's on the ice? What do you think? That is really tough because, like, first of all, if Cassidy's still here, Krejci's not here. If Cassidy's still here, Jake DeBrusque isn't here, right? Mm -hmm. Because Jake DeBrusque had demanded a trade last season. So, And we saw what Jake DeBrusque has done this season so far. This has been by far his best year. So I think by default, you have to do it that way. But then that sort of belittles what he's done in terms of the on the ice stuff in terms of the system, because Hampus Lindholm, who we already knew was a really top tier defenseman, has had his best season. McAvoy was great before Montgomery. He'll be great after Montgomery. But I do feel like this stress on getting these defensemen into the rush and those numbers would outlie it there from Calvin has been so impactful for this team. So I do think like it's tough to I don't want to cop out. So I guess I will say it's the change in terms of the dressing room. Like these guys, a lot of them have been here for years, especially when you're talking about Bergeron and Marshawn and even like Charlie McAvoy at this point, he's a young vet. David Pasternak at this point is a young vet. So they probably didn't need a guy yelling at them all the time and calling them out to the media all the time anymore. So I will say from to the question, like that is the more important part. But I would say the system is the more impressive part, right? Because he's completely changed how they play from an offensive perspective. Cassidy would, was much more conservative when it comes to that. So I, I don't want to be like, hey, he's doing both of these well. So I'll go with just the personality first. But the system's been so important as well. I mean, is that fair? Do you agree with my answer or would you go the other way? I get that you have to pick one, but I think the truth is it's probably both, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, what an outstanding hire, too, because nobody yeah. nobody thought they were hiring Jim Montgomery. Everyone's like, wait, Jim Montgomery? Like, it's just like, it's been crazy how good this guy's been for the team. I know, you can a, do no wrong. You know, and that's another thing Don Sweeney gets credit for, because he was getting absolutely crushed here for, and everybody thought he should be getting his walking papers, and of course not Bruce Cass, and it turns out that Don Sweeney was 100% correct. All right, Jamie, who's up next? Um, we got a couple Celtics questions. This one is from Cody in Longmont, Colorado. He says, I hear what you've been saying about how Joe Missoula sometimes seems to overwork Tatum in regular season games, sometimes playing him 40 plus minutes. Uh, I agree that he needs to be careful not to do that too much during the regular season. However, touching on something Brad Stevens mentioned a few weeks ago, I think it's also important that Tatum does get a few high minute games here and there in preparation for the playoffs. The playoffs are a nasty grind and there will be games where Tatum has to play 40 to 45 minutes and maybe even more if the Celtics hope to win a championship. So while it's important to keep him as fresh as possible, it's also important that his body and his mind are ready for those grueling games in the playoffs. Um, as long as it's not happening every game or every other game, I don't have a problem with Tatum getting a few work-heavy minutes this season. Hopefully it will benefit him and the team in the long run, as long as Missoula does not overdo it. Um, always a pleasure, and we'd love to hear what you think. Okay, like I understand where he's coming from with that. It's it's a fair point. Like I understand, like you got to be prepped for it if you're going to go into it, but but there is no reason that Jason Tatum in not one, but two regular season games should play 41 straight minutes. How is that possible? This is a regular season game against the Lakers, and he played the whole second, whole third, whole fourth, whole overtime. Same thing can be said about that Warriors game. 
whole second, whole third, whole fourth, whole overtime. It just and all the numbers in the second half of those games from a field goal percentage standpoint. I laid it out last night when I was or last week rather when I was doing the Missoula grades. They all go down. So it just tells you that he does need a little bit of a blow at these at certain times. I don't mind if Jason Tatum leads the NBA in minutes per game. He's second at the All Star break. If he leads the league in total minutes, I'm just saying it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, let's get him out of the game here, okay? Like we don't need him to play the whole second half and overtime, including and the whole second quarter as well. So it's just those are the type of things that annoy me with the minutes. And I would also allude to the Al thing. Like Al's playing too many minutes this year. It's great that they're giving him back to back offs, but now, and I hope that changes, right? Because Mike Mescala is here now. So basically your center rotation is four deep when you have Al. You have Rob, of course, and then you have Mascala and Cornette off the bench. So there's no reason that after the All-Star break, Al Horford should average 30 minutes per game. There's just no justification for it, right? It's more important, like, I want this team to get the one C because if it's a series against Milwaukee, you want that Game 7 to be at the Garden because, Jamie, we saw how crazy the Garden was last year in Game 7 when they beat the shit out of the Bucks, And it's great that they won in Milwaukee in Game 6, but you want that here. But it's also more important to get these guys to the finish line and get them relatively healthy and ready to go. And quite frankly, also, you could go five deep at center. You could play Grant Williams at center at times if you want. So there's no just like you could say, all right, in the first half of the season, Missoula didn't have Rob for the majority of it. Cornette was pretty good for them, but inconsistent at times. So you could at least understand why Al was playing so many minutes. But now no justification for it in the second half of the season because you need Al for the postseason, especially in a potential series against the Bucs. When you have him and Grant, those are the two guys that can cover Giannis. Yeah, I think these guys, I mean, they're they're super playoff hard and they've been doing this the past few years. They got to the final. It's not like they're going to be uh, surprised by the workload come playoffs. Yeah. And the thing about Tatum last year, too, is he was banged up. Like, that's part of the reason, too, that he wore down. So I don't think it was like he wasn't in the proper condition. Now, right. was he gassed? Certainly. But I think it was more about injuries. And quite frankly, I thought it was more mentally against the Golden State Warriors where they had a good scouting report on the guy, right? I mean, they were really good against him. So I think it was more, I don't think it was as much, and maybe you're exhausted physically because of what's going on mentally, but I thought that was more of the Warriors had an edge over the Celtics from a schematic standpoint. They'll be ready. They'll be ready. They'll be, we'll see if the Warriors are there, man. I mean, they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Um, okay. We got one from Peter. It's kind of a stats heavy thing. He says, I'm not clutching my pearls about the Bucks in the playoffs. And then he has a statistic, the worst ISO players in the NBA this season by points per possession, minimum two possessions a game. And he has, this has Darius Garland, Drew Holiday, Russell Westbrook, John Morant, LeBron James, Jalen Green, and Giannis. Um, I think his point is that Drew Holiday and Giannis are in the top seven. Um, I was looking at the stat, though, and it seems like all the best players are basically in the top 20. So... I'll defer to you, Metric Man. What do you what do you make of this stat? All right, so I'm trying to figure this out. He's saying that in terms of isolation possessions per game, that Giannis and Drew Holiday have been really bad. He's saying yes, they are both in the bottom seven. Drew Holiday second worst, and Giannis seven worth. Even though he's probably the MVP favorite, so um, I'm 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 struggling to see the connection, but maybe you can. All right, so that is interesting. Now, the Bucs have not been a great offensive team basically all season long. And quite frankly, when you look at the Bucs in that playoff series against the Celtics last year, and I know they didn't have Chris Middleton, their offense was shitty as well. The Celtics held them to an offensive rating under 100 last year, right? So the problem for the Bucs in the playoffs against the Celtics in particular 
was their offense, that it completely went to shit against the Celtics. So that, to me, is not my concern against the Bucs. Like, Giannis is obviously a massive problem, and you're worrying about them offensively. It's the Celtics' offense, right? Because when the Celtics struggled against the Bucs in the postseason, it was never their defense. Their defense was pretty much good for the entire series they put against Milwaukee. It's the games where the Celtics couldn't score, and the Celtics turned the basketball over. So on that side of the court, like, the defensive side of the floor— like Giannis is going to give you some issues. Drew Holiday is going to give you some issues. Maybe Middleton gives you some issues at times where they go off. But I don't think the Celtics defense is going to be in a game where they get blown out because the Bucs are just like the Golden State Warriors, where they're scoring a million points. I don't see that happening. If the Celtics lose against the Milwaukee Bucks, it's going to be because of how they lost to the Warriors last year and how they almost lost to the Heat. It's going to be their offense and it's going to be their turnovers. But it feels like right now the Celtics are in a much better place from an offensive perspective, especially when you factor in another guy that can get baskets in the case of Malcolm Brogdon, when the offense has just dried up, right? An extra guy that can play in isolation. And we saw that in that Bucks game where Brogdon could get to his shot. Now, Derek White was really good in that game. He struggled a little bit at the end, but remember, you didn't have Tatum. You didn't have Jalen Brown in that game. Guys that can get you baskets late in the shot clock, so to speak. So from my perspective, like, I understand what you're saying about the Bucks' offense. I see it. I mean, we, we've we seen it a bunch of times with the Bucs. They, uh, now I know that they won the title, of course, two years ago. Go back to their series against Miami in the bubble. Their offense was bad. Go back to their series against the Toronto Raptors in 2019, right? Their offense fell apart. So for the Bucs, I've never been that impressed with their offense. It's more about their defense to me where they're an elite defensive team. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the only thing I would say is I think the Celtics are definitely improved offensively, but is it the same defensive team as it was against the Bucks in the postseason last year. Yeah, well, I would say it's going to be better this year, right? Okay. And this is knock on wood because, remember, Rob was really not a factor, and he actually missed a couple of those Bucks games. So basically, you went the entire postseason without Rob being a factor, like the actual Rob Williams that we saw for the majority of the year that was like a contender for the defensive player of the year. We didn't see that guy show up until the finals, and it's not his fault. He was coming back from an injury. So I would say that you don't have that guy that... Last year against the Bucs, you didn't have that guy that was this great shot blocker that could come from the weak side. Remember what they love to do with him. They put they don't put him on the big man. They put him on a shooter. He comes over and he blocks shots. So I actually think the Celtics defense will be better in the postseason this year than it was a year ago. And you get another guy that Mel, like Malcolm Brogdon that can bang with guys too, who does a really good job defending up in position as well. And I thought he was incredibly motivated when he was covering Middleton. Like he stripped him in that game. So I, I think the Celtics defense and offense will be better. I can't wait for it because you know what I'm sick of, Jamie? All this stuff. Well, they didn't have Chris Middleton last year. Yeah, we all know. Okay. But you know what? Nobody mentions. Yeah. You know, but nobody talks about Rob wasn't really in that series. Okay. Nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about Middleton. Okay. So I'm ready. for. <laughs> I'm ready for the series, man. I'm ready for this. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm ready for the stretch run of the season and let's go. Let's get this thing go. going. Let's get a Buck Celtic series. Let's see who's the better team. Let's get this thing going. I'm down. Good stuff. And remember, you can also email your thoughts and questions, or you can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Those are good, good emails today. I like those, Jamie. Yeah, we got a Bruins one for the first time. That was nice. Yeah, got some bees, man. Trading deadline. Let's go. Don right. Sweeney. Hey, he's been good at the deadlines. You talk about Lindholm, Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle. So we'll see if he can sort of work his magic again this season. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in at 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.